from Genesis chapter 18, verses 16 to 33. Uh, You can find this on page 13 of the Bibles on the chairs. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me, and if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Again, he spoke to him and said, suppose 40 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. He said, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak again, but this once. Suppose 10 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham and Abraham returned to his place. Thank you, Sarah. Um, If you'd like to keep that passage open in front of you, we'll look at that together. And as we do, let's uh, pray and ask for God's help. Our Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you for the time that we can spend uh, in it now. And we pray that as we do, that you would minister to us by your spirit, uh, that we would have a a greater sense of of who you are and uh, what it means uh, for you to be a God of justice, uh, what that means for our lives. We pray, Lord God, that you would uh, open our eyes to see you today. Uh, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the big news stories of the past week has been the inquiry into the UK's Uh, the UK government's handling of the COVID crisis. If you've tuned into the live stream or you've uh, picked up on some of the major headlines, then you'll be aware that there have been some 
pretty shocking revelations uh, by figures at the heart of the government at the time. And it's fair to say that those uh, uh, revelations have caused a great deal of upset and outrage in some quarters. A, a spokesperson for uh, COVID Bereaved Families for Justice UK said that reading some of the emails and WhatsApp messages felt like being punched in the stomach. Uh, decisions made at the highest levels of government are coming under intense scrutiny. But regardless of what is disclosed, even a warts and all inquiry won't lead to the justice that some long for. The purpose of this inquiry, it's clear, is to learn lessons for the future, uh, not to attribute innocence or guilt at the end of all this. Uh, we live in a world that is full of injustice. What we see on our TV screens or uh, we read about online is only a fraction of the corruption and cruelty that goes on in our world every day. And perhaps we know from our own bitter experience what it is to, to suffer injustice in our own lives, to be treated unfairly at the hands of others, to endure hardship while others seem to prosper through playing the system, to be betrayed by someone who we thought was a friend. Injustice is all around us, and it affects each one of us. So how are we meant to live with injustice? What are we meant to do when the evils that we see around us, uh, the, the evils that we see perpetrated, or the, the wrongs committed against us, seem to go unpunished? When our cries for justice remain unanswered? Well, the passage that we're looking at today, it gives us a wonderful insight into where we can look. Genesis 18 reminds us that in a world of injustice, there is a judge of all the earth, Abraham says in verse 25, who will always do what is right. Now, if you were here last week, you will remember that we were in the, the first part of Genesis 18 where God visited Abraham and Sarah. Uh, and he visited them to reassure Sarah of his promises to her. God's purpose in visiting his people in the first part of this chapter was in order to be a blessing. But in the rest of this chapter, we see God turn his attention to visiting a different people for a different purpose. If you look with me at verse 16, then the men set out from there and they looked down towards Sodom. So God and his companions turned their attention to the city of Sodom. Now we know from earlier in the story of Abraham and back in Genesis chapter 13 that Sodom was well known as a place of great wickedness. We're told in verse 13 of Genesis 13, now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. And here in chapter 18, we see that as a result of, of that wickedness, God decided to pay them a visit. Verse 20, then the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. 
And if not, I will know. Now, I want us to notice two things from those verses that ought to give us great encouragement in the face of injustice. First of all, notice God hears the cries of the oppressed. Notice that word outcry in verse 20. It's actually a very strong word. It conveys a cry of terror. It's the cry of someone facing the worst horrors a human being can face. It's the cry of the abused. It's the cry of the oppressed. It's the cry of someone who is subjected to violence and exploitation. And these were not cries of some foreign nation or some rival city that was under the attack from Sodom. No, these were the cries of its own people. Now, often Sodom is associated with sexual sin. But the sins of Sodom went way beyond that. The injustices, the wickedness, the the oppression, the horrors going on in Sodom and Gomorrah against their own people, they were of the gravest sort. That's how God describes their sin, as very grave. Sometimes in the face of the gravest injustices that people claim that God either can't exist or that he doesn't care. Otherwise, sins of such gravity wouldn't be allowed to go unpunished. But these verses, they paint a very different picture. It was precisely because of their great wickedness. It was because of the gravity of their sin. It was because of the cries of terror and desperation that were emanating from these cities that God paid them a visit. Friends, The cries of the oppressed do not fall on deaf ears. You know, it may seem uh, like we live in a world without consequence, where the wicked prosper and those who suffer injustice have no one who hears them. But this passage tells us that God hears every cry. He doesn't turn away from tortured screams or silent weeping. He hears every expression of pain caused by injustice and evil. Whatever you endure in this life, whatever injustice, whatever wickedness, whatever evil, your cries are heard by the all-knowing God of the universe. But he doesn't just hear the cries of the oppressed. He sees the actions of the wicked. And that brings us to the second thing I want us to see. In response to the cries of the citizens of Sodom and Gomorrah, God promises to pay the cities a visit. Verse 21, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. You know, sometimes injustice is a result of the guilty going unpunished. Other times, injustice is a result of the innocent being found guilty. Uh, One of my all-time favorite films 
is the Shawshank Redemption. It tells the story of Andy Dufresne, who was wrongly convicted of murder. Uh, and uh, during his time in prison, despite key evidence coming to light that would prove his innocence, he is denied the opportunity to clear his name. The sense of injustice is compounded as he endures further punishment for a crime that he didn't commit. Now, I realize that's a bit of a, a spoiler, uh, but it's been out for 30 years. So if you haven't seen it by now, I have no sympathy for you. When you watch a film like that, it's impossible not to be rightly angered by the wrongful punishment of an innocent man. Of course, innocent people being found guilty, it's not limited to, to what we see in films. Sometimes miscarriages of justice happen. Sometimes the jury gets it wrong. Sometimes judges make mistakes. But in the court of divine justice, God sees all, He knows all, He hears all. He knows the inner thoughts and motivations of every heart. Nothing, absolutely nothing is hidden from His sight. And He always, always gets His judgments right. As the sovereign God of the universe, he already knew exactly what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. But in verse 21, he graciously condescends to Abraham to assure him that any judgment that he carried out would be based on all the evidence, that every crime that had been committed in those cities would be thoroughly investigated, that every judgment that he made would be completely fair and correct. And friends, this should be incredibly reassuring for us as we consider the injustices in our world and the wrongs that we might have to endure. God hears our cries. He sees every crime and He promises to judge justly. Even if justice might elude us in this life, even if we suffer at the hands of others, we can take comfort from the fact that the judge of all the earth will always do what is right. And ultimately, justice will be done in every situation. That's a wonderful truth to, to, to grab hold of when we're tempted to be overwhelmed by the wrongs that we might endure at the hands of others. And it's also a truth that, that frees us from succumbing to the temptation to pursue vengeance. In Romans chapter 12, verse 19, Paul writes, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. We do not live in a world without consequence. You know, it may seem like that sometimes. It may seem that, that the wicked get away with murder, that the oppressed never receive justice, but God promises to judge the wicked. He promises to deal with every injustice in the end. Now, that reality, on the one hand, is a great reassurance, but it's also a sobering one, because if God is going to judge every wrong, if the guilty will be punished, then that means that 
that we too deserve his judgment. Paul's clear in Romans chapter 3 verse 10 that there is no one righteous, not even one. All of us have sinned, all of us have turned away from God. The God who sees all, the God who knows all, he, he sees the sin in our own lives. He sees the wrongs that we commit against one another and, and we commit against him. Now, the idea of a God who will judge every injustice is one that most of us would welcome, but when it comes to a God who, who will also judge us, that's something that many people find abhorrent. You know, the growing influence of radical individualism in our society, the idea that my feelings are the highest authority, that how I feel defines what's right and what's wrong is having a profound impact on the way that people think and act. The spirit of our age wants a God who affirms our feelings, whatever they may be. But the picture that we're presented with here and the picture that we're presented with throughout the Bible is that there is a higher authority than our feelings, that there is a judge who discerns between right and wrong, who weighs the evidence and acts justly in the light of it, and that in the presence of the judge of all the earth, none of us can stand. The only hope that we have is if that righteous judge will have mercy. And that was the hope of Abraham. In the remaining verses of this passage, from verse 22 to verse 33, we see Abraham engage in a, a dialogue with God. He appeals to him for, for mercy on Sodom and Gomorrah. We read verse 23, Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from you. Abraham appeals to the mercy of God. He is already uh, fulfilling here his, his role of being a blessing to the nations. And his appeal is that the discovery of a righteous minority in Sodom and Gomorrah would allow the guilty to be spared. And what ensues is a dialogue between Abraham and God with an ever-decreasing number of righteous people that might lead to these wicked cities being spared. In verse 32, Abraham gets right down to just 10 righteous people. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again but this once. Suppose 10 are found there. God answered, for the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. You see the extent of God's mercy in that as Abraham appeals to this ever-decreasing number of righteous people, God promises that he would spare those wicked cities if even ten righteous people could be found. God's heart is to be patient, to be kind, to be merciful. In the end, though, not even 10 righteous people could be found. And these wicked cities who were guilty of so much injustice and evil, they faced God's righteous judgment and were raised to the ground. Their wickedness, it didn't go unpunished. They endured the consequences of their sin. In the end, justice was done. 
So how is our fate any different? After all, if none of us are righteous, if God is just, then how can we be spared? Well, the wonderful hope that this passage points us to is that there is one who is righteous, one who spared the guilty, the only one who lived a perfect, blameless life, the only one who didn't deserve the judgment of God, and yet he willingly chose to bear that judgment so that the guilty might go free. In Jesus Christ, God came in the person of His Son to do what we couldn't possibly do. The judge of all the earth became our Savior, the righteous one, bearing the punishment so that the guilty might go free. Jesus went to His death on the cross, bearing the judgment of God. On the cross, He, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that every time we cry out, we can be sure that God hears us. Such is the glorious mercy and grace of God that He gave His only Son, so that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. For anyone who puts their trust in Jesus Christ, the righteous one, we can know that whatever injustice, whatever wrong we might be guilty of, our Savior has paid our debt. He has borne our sin, and we are now blameless before the judge of all the earth. Forgiven, free, with the sure and certain hope of eternal life. And in the meantime, we can entrust every injustice to Him, knowing that the judge of all the earth will always do what is right, and He will always deal with it in the end. Well, let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You that You are the God who hears. You hear every cry, and You are the God who sees. You see every wickedness. We praise You that we can look to You and know that every injustice in our world will one day be dealt with. Lord, we pray that it would give us great reassurance and comfort, but also that it would draw us to see that, that our standing before you is not based on our performance or, or what we achieve. It's based on Christ the righteous one bearing our punishment so that our guilt is dealt with and we can stand blameless before you today. We thank you for the hope that we have in Christ and we pray that as we come to this table now to take bread and wine, you would remind us again uh, in these visible words of your mercy and your grace, even though we've done nothing to deserve it. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.